So you gave me a little homework this week. I did. You might not have been expecting the assignment you received, but not at all. uh, Take two doses of Saint Germain and and call me in the morning. (laughs) Knocked me right on my ass. (laughs) Listen to that. uh, Listen to that new jazz groove. All I can think of is fusion cuisine when I listen to this. Yeah, exactly. We're talking turkey. We're talking turkey. Welcome to the show. We're talking turkey. We're talking turkey. So I was looking to put together a playlist. I'd made a, a Spotify playlist of music that we listened to when I was living in Montreal. It was like, yeah. you know, early 2000s, like golden age indie. Mm-hmm. And um, Montreal was was certainly like a scene within that scene. We went to shows all the time. It was an exciting place to be. You know, you'd be out drinking and Wynn Butler's goofy ass would come in with that big hat on. Um if you're lucky, you got it without being sexually assaulted. But yeah. uh, it's another story. Yeah, a lot of those figures have been canceled recently. <laughs> Rightfully so. It's about time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm trying to make a playlist of the music that we were listening to, really just to share with one friend. Uh, you know, we went to a lot of shows together, and enough time had elapsed that I yeah. was like, I'm, I'm up for revisiting some of this music that I, I definitely over-listened to coming on 20 years ago. So I made a playlist. I was like, oh, this is great. It was a lot of fun. And then we kind of had a lot of, generally a lot of good conversation. You know, remember when we saw this band? Remember when this came out? That kind of thing. So generally positive experience. Yeah. So then, I, I don't know, a couple months later, I was like, oh, you know what? I should make a playlist of the time that another friend and I were living in London. We were, we were bartending after our undergrad. And I was like, I'd love to go back to some of that music and capture that time. So I started doing that. And, and as I'm pulling songs together, I realized a distinct genre that dominated that period. And it's this kind of like Saint-Germain, new jazz sound. Right. Now, again, this wasn't music that I was necessarily listening to like on my own. Yeah. But we were working in restaurants and bars. Oh, yeah. And this was like the, this was the dominant soundtrack of this era. Yeah, that was the marinade that every restaurant was dipped into during that period. That was the soy ginger citrus reduction. Yeah, absolutely. I worked in a restaurant at one point ma- later on, like uh, 2008, 2009, and still I would be in charge of putting on music and I would gravitate towards something with a beat but with a bit of a jazzy flair. It just seemed to work. <laughs> And it was, again, I wasn't a big fan of it, but it was what yeah. was appropriate for the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I've enlisted your help today to try and unpack this sound. I mean, it's music I'd completely forgotten about, first of all. Um, and like that Saint Germain record was huge uh, yeah. in restaurants and bars. Yes. And then there's there's records that are adjacent to that. So before I went to live in London, I worked at a restaurant in Ottawa, and one of the in addition to Saint Germain, one of the CDs um, that we played there all the time was called the Verve Remixed. Okay. So not- the Verve was like a classic jazz label, and they got all these like contemporary DJs. 
like these hot shit like Krudendorfmeister yeah. to like remix <laughs> remix these like jazz standards along the exact same line as Saint Germain. Like it was in the ether, mm-hmm. you know, it was like jazz filtered back through house hip hop right. and it just like the whole scene kind of flooded back to me as i'm trying to make this playlist the playlist never happened because it's like this music is so like <laughs> shitty and it, it's its own thing that uh precipitated the call for your assistance in unpacking this turkey yeah so i was never a saint germain guy this one sort of slipped under my radar a little bit in terms of i never had the cd or had it on a mixtape per se yeah but i knew it as soon as i put it on i'm like oh this yes i know this quite well um and it was like a bit distasteful when i was listening to it it felt so dated for some reason yes but not it wasn't unpleasant like i yeah but it, it was a it was a nostalgic feeling and a vibe it's a total vibe it's a definite vibe but it was also a felt wrongheaded. And then when I thought about it, like just the whole project of like taking jazz, like a spontaneous recording, expressive recording, and then sort of linking it to drum machines and like enslaving yeah. it to the beat of like a DJ seemed to be wrongheaded in some ways. I'm like, this, these are two different worlds, but maybe that's the fun of it is that it's, you know, it's a, it's a fusion yeah. of these two. Yeah. yeah seemingly in- incompatible worlds yeah i think fusion is a big part of it it made sense like that was the dominant culinary trend at the time as well was, was fusion um yeah i absolutely i like i love everything you're saying i want to i want to kind of get in there and dig around a little bit but before we do who else was on this scene to me moby jumps out as Oof. well yeah and that was also on the list let's put a <laughs> let's let's uh that's like 99 yeah. 98 99 is moby yeah. Um, I think Saint Germain is around the same time. That yeah, this is all. This is late '90s, early 2000s. I have a lot to say about this Moby situation. <laughs> when I search the the name Play, the other album that comes up is Great Big C Play. Oh, great! I mean, that's album. A, just a classic. <laughs> it's a mixed company there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to start with here. Yeah. Yeah. Best song on the album, I'd say. Yeah. I got grumpy listening to this album. I don't know why. Like, that was my main mood was grumpiness. Yeah. That's the right mood to have. Because it's got this, like, shame on us. Because, like, we were into this. I mean, again, not us, really, but people were into this. I I had the album. I listened to it. Yeah. This is what immediately precedes that song. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. This made me angry. This I mean, to your point about about shoehorning jazz into like DJ syncopated beats, it's the same idea. This is like peak sampling to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Like a sampling might have been uh, or was like, a kind of radical idea in the late 70s 80s and then into the early 90s the, the golden age of hip-hop this feels like a kind of mainstreaming perversion of that impulse yeah like the banger moby song you just played i mean it's not a banger but the juggernaut hit it, in a sense it's appropriative right like they're taking authentic music that they didn't make and they're jamming it into this like fusion 
you know, plastic package to then be played to ultimately yuppies in like high end cocktail bars sipping uh, Cosmos. Yeah. And I mean, this one, if St. Germain is about appropriating jazz, this is about appropriating the blues, which yes. is like, again, there's so, a lot of problems with that, obvious problems. But, you know, some of these songs are good and catchy, but this one, for example, Run On, like, I'm pretty sure just the original song is great. You know, let's take an right. example yeah, of this. Exactly. Like, there's no, there's no <laughs> value added here. Yeah, by, like, by this Moby. is just, yeah. Like, when you hear the guy come in, you're like, this work yeah. is in its source material quite well. And yeah. before Moby got his grubby fingers on it. <laughs> his, it's, his clammy little milky hands on yeah. it. I forgot about this one. This song maybe holds up the best in terms of it didn't make me angry. <laughs> but this is just like full scale, like grab this whole... It's complete appropriation. It's wild. I mean, listen, this music was just really, it really had me like laughing in befuddlement. How did this genre ascend to the heights that it did? In a sense, it's like the mainstreaming of house. Yeah. A little bit. It's like all of these different local scenes throughout the 80s and 90s all of a sudden made into this like pablum, this mm-hmm. like, like palatable, easy listening pablum. Yeah. When I think of this album, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast called Heavyweight by Jonathan Goldstein. Oh, I love him, but no, I don't think I've listened to it. So one of the very early episodes was about the guy who gave Moby the CDs that were the oh my Lomax God. recordings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, Moby, like, check these out. Oh, Moby then sakes. listened to them, sampled the hell out of all of them. Oh, I'll make quick work of these. And then didn't give the guy credit or give him his CDs back. Come on, man. <laughs> so the the whole heavyweight episode is about this guy being like, I just want my CDs back. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did he appropriate it from the blues tradition, he appropriated the actual physical CDs from his friend. and oh, did his friend. <laughs> and then the album Play is famously one where Moby licensed every single song on it. To yeah. Either movies advertisements um yeah he claims a lot of them were like sort of independent indie projects and that the reason he did it was he wasn't getting enough airplay so this was like a creative way Um, oh my god and yeah the result was some people called it the moby scale of selling out like you you rank someone on the moby scale like did they go full moby in terms of their (laughs) sellout um but it ultimately like he was a a pioneer in selling it. Like everyone yeah. does that now. Like that's the only way to make money. So it's like, okay, so you yeah. take the blues, sample it, put a bit of some techno behind it. Like sample it, it nakedly. Like yeah. sample it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then like a wild pastiche of genres. Yeah. Sell the rights to every single song. Then call it a day. Uh, yeah, a lot of problems there, obvious problems. But what's maybe interesting is we didn't, see, I didn't recognize that at, at the time. No. Uh, I no. listened to it. I enjoyed it. A lot. Like I enjoyed Natural Blues, for example, which again, the, the name of the song, Natural Blues, which is one of the, <laughs> is there's an irony there. Like this could be 
the least yeah, natural. It's, a, it's like it's a, it's a sleight of hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Picture like a <laughs> tiny white pale hand, just like yeah. oh, oh, you didn't see that, didn't you? Anytime there's a music documentary, especially like in the electronic album, Moby insists on being a talking head. I've seen oh, yeah. him like he worms his way into every yeah. documentary. He's like uh, what what Dave Grohl is for like punk rock That's, and alternative. Yeah. Moby is for um, electronic. But, so the so what a good point. The fact that that this that play coming at the end of the 20th century is essentially made to be licensed. Like it's it's a vehicle for sales. Mm-hmm. The initial element of this music that dawned on me if i could like sum it up in a in a pithy manner it was like music for the end of history or music for okay. the end of time and i actually came with a with a couple of quotes locked and loaded just to give us a little more a little more context today love it so i'm sure you've heard the quote and some of our listeners may or may not have of uh, it's francis fukuyama and his famous declaration of the end of history mm-hmm. um, so just indulge me with a with a quick read so this is actually when I was, I was kind of trying to research the essay again. I just found a little kind of summation. I'll, I'll just read a quick blurb. So in the summer of 1989, the American magazine The National Interest published an essay with a strikingly bold title, The End of History. Its author, the political scientist Francis Fukuyama, announced that the great ideological battles between East and West were over and that Western liberal democracy had triumphed. With anti-communist protests sweeping across the former Soviet Union, the essay seemed right on the money. Fukuyama became an unlikely star of political science, dubbed the court philosopher of global capitalism by John Gray. When his book, The End of History and the Last Man, appeared three years later, the qualifying question mark was gone. So this is 89. It seems to me that the 90s are this kind of stately march, stately triumph of global capitalism. That comes to an end with 9-11. We're kind of thrust into a, a different epoch at that point in time. But I think Moby and Saint-Germain and this scene that we're talking about effectively becomes the kind of like ending soundtrack for this period. It's this like banal, market-ready, smooth, unobjectionable, but like global. It just pulls these different samples, decontextualizes them, repackages them. It's like it negates the scene that they come from just to deliver up this like sweet, toe-tapping new jazz for people from Milan to Tokyo. Right. It's an interesting point, this idea of the end of history, because on a personal note, like I remember the Y2K New Year's Eve, and there was really a feeling that like maybe something would happen when it turned over to midnight. So I wonder if these albums on the lead-up to that, what gave the license to these artists to borrow and decontextualize <laughs> was this feeling like all bets are off like we don't like actually this is end times yeah interesting what are we worried about anymore just take what you can and use yeah. it in any way possible it's like clearing house end of times capitalism everything's up for sale any ethical responsibilities you may have had to your scene your community mm-hmm. to the community to music to history gone yeah I mean, I did a little research on Moby, and it seems like he didn't feel committed to any particular scene. He was like a, a bit petulant, bit teenagery in terms yeah. of he got some popularity in techno, and then he did an album of like moody indie rock called Animal Rights. Right. People right. are like, what yeah. is this? You know? He was like, uh, so, so his, his sort of his own, I mean, I'll say ego, but his own drives 
were were more important than any kind of musical scene or any community came out of. Yeah, and as uh, another personal note, I was at the Area One Festival in Toronto in 2001, put on by Moby. It was a wild mix of like, you know, Outkast, Nelly Furtado, um, (laughs) Moby, of course, but then also like Carl Cox and a bunch of big techno people. Mixed. Okay. And that yeah. was the radical move was this festival that was genreless, you know? Yeah. And it was it was fine. But so he was really committed to this idea of I guess a sampling of genres and and being sort of rootless and yeah, I guess maybe it's ego driven, you know, it's just yeah. his taste. The breakdown of genre really strikes me. I could see how Moby, people like Moby would would use that to justify I don't know, creative freedom, equality, universality. But these are also like problematic universals that do injustice to, again, to individual scenes and communities. It's like it gives you license to steamroll and take in the name of a kind of bland humanity or like a bland, good vibe feeling. Yeah, one of the things I grappled with is, like, how is this different than hip-hop sampling? Like, is there really yeah. a big difference here? Because we allow that as a kind of, especially in, in the context, if, you know, like, if your main instrument is a, a record player, then you've, by sampling, you, you've turned that into an instrument, I should say. Yeah. And it's sort of a clever way to create music out of recorded material. And it's also opportunist in terms of like crate digging, you know, like finding yep. the most obscure sample, like some mm-hmm, old Western mm-hmm. movie or like whatever. Yeah. But like, we have, uh, like DJs like hide the records, obviously, like I got to keep my samples close. Yeah. So is it because it's a, a traditionally disenfranchised group, the African-American community that was the genesis of that, that we allow it, but Moby, we disallow it, <laughs> you know? Um yeah, yeah, it's a, that, it's a good is that question. fair, right? Because th- these people are just sampling again. Maybe it's yeah. because I, th- I come back to the song Run On that we just had on. It's such a long sampling. Like, it's borrowing yeah. so like much. It's, essentially, <laughs> it's essentially the song with, like, a bookended beat. Yeah. yeah, with, like, some... And then always Moby comes in with the moody guitar, though. He comes in with his edgy guitar. I don't know if you noticed that throughout. I'm Like, that's Mobes, baby. He comes <laughs> that's in... That's the Mobes. That's the Mobes. <laughs> signature yeah i mean i think like so with i mean with rap and hip-hop there's a community there and a tradition to me that's something there's also the poetry of the mc and the the best rap is like in a sense holding up a mirror to society yeah right so that's like a plus one maybe so it's like yes yes it's sampling it's cobbling together different sounds if no it's like my instrument is records the palette is like the blues and the jazz and the, the soul that you know our parents or grandparents listen to but it, it's a reclamation by virtue of, of rapping. You're kind of repositioning it. You're adding something to it. That's to me like an, a, a major counterpoint to to like a Moby, like slapping a Moby sticker sure. of like a, yeah. like a guitar riff on top. But it's a decent point. Sampling in general might run the risk of appropriation. I mean, race is a factor. Obviously, Moby and uh, Saint-Germain, they're white DJs. It's a good question, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, yeah, the lack of transformation of the samples in some of them. Yeah. A good sample, in some ways, 
chops and flips or reimagine like finds yeah. a moment and repeats yep. it and transforms yeah. it in some way. Whereas yeah. it feels like he's extracted voices yeah. out of the blues in, in yeah. Moby's case. Now Saint Germain, I, I don't know. It's a project of finding a new accompaniment in some ways to the jazz material. That first song you played with this exact uh, question, I was trying to hunt the samples down a little bit to be like, Wait, where's where's Saint Germain pulling from? Yeah. And once you realize it, you, you can't not hear it. And it may be obvious to everyone else. It should have been obvious to me. But the main kind of sound in that song is Dave Brubeck, the take five. Yeah. Like, doom, 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 doom. yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. It's like a straight lifting. And then uh, the, I want you to get together. So, yeah, one thing that jumped out. So Dave, I mean, no no, no shade on Dave Brubeck. Like Dave, yeah, fine, Dave Brubeck. But he, he is like the the whiter, easier, sure. more palatable form of jazz. Like he's mm. cool jazz. They're, it's West Coast. I think Dave Brubeck's a, an important musician. I'm, you know, not to shit on him, but it's sort of already maybe arguably appropriative is Dave Brubeck and the cool jazz scene. So it's in a sense, it's like a telltale sample mm. to lift. Some of the other samples are like Miles Davis, like it's pretty right. obvious sources in some ways. Yeah. It's not like yeah, digging, yeah. digging as deep. Maybe that was part of it too. This is right on the cusp of internet culture, it, like mainstreaming internet. Obviously all of that's coming, but were we still generally ignorant? I mean, today we know everything and yeah. we can we can figure everything out right away. Was this still a moment of naivete? Was it was this the last gasp of naivete Maybe, in the West? Yeah. I certainly didn't spot the samples. I was obviously too young and music ignorant to, to spot them at the time. But was there like a tr- like a teaching, like a training right. element to yeah, these records like as well? The first stage of it, like to have a cocktail party, you're like, you know, that's Dave Brubeck, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh, like, wow. <laughs> like the the beginning of it, it does seem like an internet fueled, like, here's the story behind the story kind of levels of awareness that we all thoroughly live in now. Mm-hmm. Right? Play the um the Saint Germain f- the flute song. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one maybe aged the worst. Yeah, it just smacks you in the face. Did you hear it? This is the beat of global capitalism. It reminds me of a Sex in the City episode. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. This yeah. is what they'd be vibing to. At yeah. The various cocktail bars. Like the, the, the breathiness, the breathiness on the flute. It's like this music, in spite of or because it was so manufactured, maybe this is what's so cloying about it. This is the, the, the piece that keeps hooking me back. They, it makes such grasping attempts at authenticity. Right. Like for Moby, it's like these soulful voices. And then in that song, there's a kind of like breathiness, mm-hmm. like almost like it's a jam session that they're just capturing live right. on the floor. It attempts to harness and capture like authentic human experience, but in this way that is so catchy and marketable and like borderless. This can play anywhere, anywhere across the world. Be good if one of us was like a house head or a techno head who actually yeah. like, I, I'm curious to know how people who were in that scene reacted to like a Moby or a Saint-Germain when that came out? Was it just so like s- such obvious shit? Yeah. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think they liked it. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like, yeah, pandering. It, it yeah. feels like pandering. It feels it's pandering. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Well, here's the thing. And this kind of 
dovetails back to my my sort of original head scratching moment when I was trying to make a, a playlist of what we were listening to mm-hmm. in the early 2000s in London. You know, again, it was a lot of this music. So we were working in restaurants and bars. It was just like that was the evocative of that time for me. But for me, it was a genreless period. I, and I can't determine if that's where I was biographically insofar as I had I'd left high school, I'd right. left university. You, you know, you get all these different influences. Mm-hmm. Some you gravitate to more than others, maybe. But you're sort of right on the cusp of beginning to find your sound or scene, arguably. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't find one. Like, I couldn't, from that particular period, it couldn't cohere. So jumping ahead a couple of years and living in Montreal, I'm like, yes, like, this is music. I right. get it. I understand the bands. I, I like this. Like, it's scene. I, like I, indie, I, I, yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. Indie. I found myself in indie. But before then, it was this, like, fucking dog's breakfast yeah. of shit. It, what's interesting is, like, the dog's breakfast of shit. I immediately think of new metal. <laughs> yeah, and and the same time, right? This, this, it's the exact same, same moment. moment. Yeah. And what did bands like uh, Slipknot do? They mix these weird non-metal ingredients together like they would have a bagpipe that would kick in they would have like a funk beat then like pure screaming and then they'd have a dj scratching right like it was new metal was this dog's breakfast of shit that was like this complete mix who cares where it came from we're using it in this slipknot they they grab the screams of like hardcore scenes but then that's mixed with like basic happy power chords right yeah yeah and then like a dj scratching and then like a funk bass (laughs) a dj DJ was an essential element of a of a new rock ensemble like kid rock like this this okay so so is this is this the period is this what happens there's like creative explosions in the early 90s by the end of the 90s capital is just there global capital is there it's the end of history they're just fucking funding everybody and we're getting this like complete vomitorium of like mixed genre shit Mm -hmm. is that what's happening i think so and that was peak in terms of like making money off record sales too yeah the last days of cd sales yeah last days of cd sales napster's just coming in to disrupt everything starting um file sharing's just starting like as you had to buy the record and like listen through it yeah and there was huge huge amounts of money for to fund these experiments and yeah, you get, you get like a, a feign de siècle, uh, yeah. Vomitorium mix up, mash up, uh, garbage platter of, yeah. of sounds. And everyone was doing it like limp biscuit. They were so obviously terrible. And yet method man's doing a song with them. Right. <laughs> Fair you, point. There's no purity there. Like you would yeah. think Wu Tang and limp biscuit, those are running parallel. They would never meet. They met. Jay Z and Linkin Park did an album around that time, right? Like what? What's happening? Like so, who who are the biggest victims here? And I feel like Gen X is they've moved on. They're listening to Saint Germain. They're like, I don't give a fuck. I, I'm a corporate lawyer now. Like I'm sipping my fucking mojito. Right. You know, like younger millennials. I mean, I guess they're victims because these this is like impressionable times. They're getting a fucking Lincoln Park uh, Method Man jam. Yeah, I think we the victims were the listeners at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yeah, like I, I think it's like it's that little rump we keep talking about. People who are like seventy eight to like eighty six, yeah, born in that us, period. Us, we, <laughs> most most impressionable. Yeah, like we were music lovers, and then like here we are out in the world, and they're giving us this. Yeah, trash. And yeah, it was yeah confusing time, and yet <laughs> then we moved to indie rock, which feels authentic, right? But it, like it absolutely yeah. yeah um like thick cabled sweaters like the folk resurrection which again was an appropriative act it's like mm-hmm. let me bring back the sounds of folk the like garage punk yeah uh revival again that's an act of appropriation it's like let me just let's go back to the stooges and the mid-period stones or whatever like let's you know the fucking kinks like right. let's take yeah let's take these like authentic sounds that yeah. al- also aren't ours and the sound of our parents yeah and re- the sound of our parents <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah that's the that's the scene that i latched onto. Same here. And because it felt yeah. like a breath of fresh air, but it was not yeah. authentic either. It was a retread no. in so many ways, but at least it felt authentic compared to what we were operating within because it was at least citing something. <laughs> An attempt to at least like have like a single source. Maybe. Right. Maybe that was it. We were yeah. here objecting to the- <laughs> to the heterogeneity like the suits are like youth culture it's got screaming it's got remixing <laughs> bagpipes it's got bagpipes ashley mcisaac that's a figure <laughs> right fiddle yeah. and fucking alternative brutal yeah. just brutal uh, you know yeah. what's you know what's interesting though i i was at one point this summer i was talking to a youth uh, who was around 20 and you're talking. You're talking to youths these I, days. I occasionally talk to a youth, and he was. <laughs> I just see you like like <laughs> hitching up at a fence, be like, Hello. like like a long piece of straw in your mouth, like hey, hey there, hey you, hey youth. He was fascinated or, by like he wanted to hear tales of when music videos were at their peak. He's like, oh, tell me shit. about music videos. I'm like, oh man, you don't have any idea, man. You come home from school. <laughs> You just get. Let a me tell mix. you, that they ran from three fifteen till <laughs> the wee hours. Sometimes just one idea presented in a number of different shots, just style, <laughs> just pure stylized to bad music. But yeah. What was interesting to hear from him is the stuff that he was most interested in, in terms of what his generation was going back to, was stuff like corn or yeah. Um, yeah. Deftones. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is my other selfish motive for this turkey is we're in a moment right now where you know twenty year olds are like doing what every twenty year old does. They're going back like twenty years mm-hmm. and they're like trying to mine what was there for treasure for gold. But my point is like this is a legit shit period in music history. Right. There is nothing there. Yeah, he was. I was trying to explain to him like these bands weren't cool. Like yeah. Limp Biscuit, not yeah. cool. Man. Not it was cool. not cool. Yeah. This was not cool music. And Ash not music, not cool. No, not cool. Like corn, not cool. But his argument is like that's the stuff that has inspired new scenes currently. Ooh. Okay. I mm, I bone pick. Yeah, I need I need an example. I mean just I, it, I nitpick here. Yeah. I mean he was Austrian in, in his defense. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> okay. He's like, well, arguably you can't have a cloth for salt. <laughs> but these weird experimental or like mashup genre yeah Yeah. like corny cross genre experimentations are the most fascinating in some ways for this generation like i've been watching some 
YouTube videos trying to get a handle on like why are Deftones like one of the biggest bands right now? Yeah, like the the Gen whatever they are Alpha yeah. loves yeah. the Deftones. Why? Oh my god! Yeah, and one of the arguments was on this this YouTube channel called Neo Punk FM was that they were raised watching cartoons that would have one goth character that was really relatable, uh, like a goth girl. Yeah. Like, That's So Raven or whatever. You know, like, there would always be, like, one alt girl. Right. That's a direct descendant of that scene. Yeah. Because this was written by people who grew up through that. So, like, let's put an alternative goth-type girl in there. So now these kids are a bit older, and they're, like, wanting the goth girl. So they're interested in bands like Deftones because they feel like that's where they're going to find them. Wow. It was a strange... No, strange, strange no, they have no understanding of like the cure like joy division no uh like the smiths like sisters of mercy these like original more important mm. more interesting i would argue bands that you know then just get flagrantly appropriated from in the late 90s yes yeah, so they're looking at that as the source but because it's a genre list or genre fl- fluid yeah, it's, you know, it's got the bagpipes and the DJ. That's something that operates well in our current musical moment where right. so much of things are built off a, this layering of samples. Yeah. Appropriation of genres where you don't even really notice what the sample is. Everything's got some sample underneath it mixed with something right. else. Yeah. And I was trying to explain to him, like, what was cool back then. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, what yeah. was actually cool was like, and then yeah, I just fell into like Radiohead. Um, and I'm like, were they actually cool though? Like, <laughs> this is my problem. Like, yeah. again, when I'm trying to assemble this playlist, I had like an existential mini crisis. I was like, what the fuck was I listening to? Like, was this music any good? Yeah. Like, I I do feel I loved bands in high school intimately, and then I was kind of just stuck with what was happening for a while. Yeah, what was Radiohead cool? I remember when the Strokes came out, Radiohead felt immediately cool. felt irrelevant. Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, how can you even listen to Radiohead right. anymore after the Strokes? But now with time, I'm like, well, the Strokes was its own little act of Were they cool? Appropriation. Like, were they cool or were they, were they they were packaging themselves as cool. It was it was a highly stylized yeah. music. Were they nerds in like dress up? Cos- yeah, in cosplaying. Yeah. Cosplaying is like New York punks. Yeah. Yeah, ar- yes, arguably they were. In which case, corn. There, there is a case for corn. There yeah, is a case the same to thing. for corn. <laughs> At least they were doing something innovative, I guess. <laughs> uh, like, no, 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 more bagpipe. Yeah, more, bit bag- more. Bring the bagpipe up in the mix. Can we bring I mean, <laughs> like, think about who the biggest hip hop stars were. Like Eminem, just spewing vitriol. Yeah, like, vitriol. Yeah. It's a good point. And taking shots at Moby, too. <laughs> Wait, was there an Eminem Moby beat? Oh, there was, yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, he yeah. said nobody listens to techno in one of his songs. Oh, he calls him an fuck. old man. Shots fired. When, like, really, like, they're kind of twinsies, if you look at them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're not so dissimilar. Brothers from another mother. Yeah. I think I, I might have said this in these pages elsewhere, but uh, I, I remember lining up for an 80s night in the early 2000s and like some older people came by, like older Gen <laughs> Xers. 
They're like, what? Why are you wasting your time in this shit? It's essentially replaying the moment you had with the young Austrian. They're like, right. this music wasn't cool. Like right. the '80s fucking sucked. Remember later working with a woman in, in that restaurant that played Saint Germain all the time, and she was like, "Oh my god, the '80s were fucking terrible." She's like, "Thank God for Tom Waits and Elvis Costello." Right. Like the rest of that decade is dog shit. Any kind of like synth pop, the endless nostalgia machine of the '80s now, and, and that kind of like neon synth pop sound. Mm-hmm. These people were like, this is the lamest fucking music imaginable. Right. But obviously to us, you know, and people of our generation, they look back at that as like source material for like very cool music. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like I think of, you know, I remember seeing some other bands that felt cool were like the White Stripes or the Hives. I remember going to a a show by the Hives. Do you remember them? And like, yeah, they were like great showmen. But if you think about it, they're all in costume. Like, these are all yeah. just versions of the monkeys in some Skinny way. suits. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything was the monkeys. Yeah. There was, wow. there, there was a lot of industry money at the time. And, it, like, think of how stylized the White Stripes were. Like, pretending yeah. to be brother-sister. The, the, uh, <laughs> the color The, the red, white, black yeah. palettes. Yeah. And it starts out as, like, blues covers, and those covers remain you know, a heavy component of their sets. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the mythology behind the band, same last name, brother, sister. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And I mean, like there were obviously undercurrents of better music going on, but it's really, you would really have to dig and it was expensive to dig back then. That's the thing. It's like, you would have to actually buy the album and there's so many CDs you buy. And then you were like, Ooh, what a tough purchase that was. And then you would be committed to it. You would have to listen to this garbage music for a while to justify the 20 bucks you spent. So you're like, yeah, that was a mistake. Like... So yeah, we really, yeah, we were the victims there in that moment. And like, sometimes you're dropping like $35 on a double disc. Yeah, the double CD, another late 90s capitalist grab. Speaking of which, like Smashing Pumpkins, were they cool? Like, absolutely not. No, no. But they kind of felt cool at the time. Yeah, and less cool as every uh, month and year goes by. Yeah, the shinier Billy Corgan's noggin gets, the the less (laughs) shiny the... (laughs) Shiny the tunes. Yeah. Yeah, and like purchasing mix CDs, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a weird musical moment. There was an abundance of of highly produced, yeah, records. A glut, yeah, a glut of highly produced records. But then it's like, what was the top of the charts? Kid Rock, you know, like, yeah, what's happening? Yeah. Kid what Rock, what is happening? Uncle Cracker. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh fuck! Mashups yeah. won the day. Mashups won. Yeah. Yeah. And here's something I like to bring up about Limp Biscuit. Like Fred Durst, underneath that red Yankees hat, he there was an asshole. Like he was a real jerk. <laughs> he was the biggest dick. I've been doing some digging. He's a real jerk. All right. You think oh, he's shit. just you think he's There's just more a, of the story? Well, he's just I mean, do you remember Wes Wes Borland? No no relation uh, to Al Borland, the guitarist. He slowly turned him to him into like a monkey type figure with his oh like, yeah this body modification. <laughs> that was a direct result of being in the band with Fred Durst, I think. <laughs> to like, 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 pr- like primitivize himself. 
<laughs> yeah. He, he, I mean, every video came out, Wes was looking a little stranger, a little bit more monkey-like. It was bizarre. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Like, the mainstream stuff was shit, but we dig a little deeper. The alternative stuff was kind of shit, too. Yeah, that's a good revelation. So where does this leave us? Basically, the takeaway for me is our music already sucked. Yeah. Then it really sucked. It obviously sucked. And then when we thought we found what we loved, that sucked, too. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> from we... Smashing Pumpkins to Corn to the Strokes. Yeah, like shit, shit, shit. Dave Matthews. Yeah, you know? Dave fucking Matthews. Ani DeFranco, yeah. right? Like, Fuck. These... Does music just suck? And is, is it like uh, you can't listen to anything recorded after 1980? <laughs> but the, yeah, but I don't know. But yeah, it just it always sucked. Yeah, it sucks all the way down. But it's like undeniably great. It sucks all the way down. <laughs> undeniably enjoyable too. Like you go back. To, I've been listening to some of the Strokes albums. Like still like them. Still catchy. Yeah. Yeah. Is Elliot Smith like yeah. the counter current in that? But like yeah, sort of depressing, but authentically depressed. The, 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 the sad, authentic. Yeah. yeah. Like, are there just figures? Like, as the person said, like, thank God for Tom Waits and Elvis Costello. Is that what we can hold on to? Is, like, individual artists who were, like, quietly plying away a trade within it? Maintaining credibility by, I don't know, consistently trying new things. It's an old template of what an artist is supposed to be. It's a a romantic template of what an artist is supposed to be. Art for art's sake. Yeah. Art over art over everything. Arguably. I don't know. Arguably, that's Moby. We're talking about Moby. Fuck. <laughs> was Moby right? This has gone full circle. Yeah. Who was canceled for being a creep recently, too? Yeah, yeah. There was that, that recurring... He kept dropping references to the time he dated Natalie Portman. Yeah, she's like, I was 18. I just graduated <laughs> high school. He's she's like, like we no, you were 20, I, I swear. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you were 20, you were 20. <laughs> He's like, I've, I got some great recordings. He always talks to like clenched teeth. So like, I got some great recordings. You like to listen. Yeah, Moby. Fuck him, man. I, yeah, but maybe he's the only one we've got. Saint Germain and Moby. Yeah. <laughs> turns, out, <laughs> turns out to be the most enduring music of our time. Where's my Alan Lomax recordings?
can say You know I was getting by Before you found me Feels like this house of cards Is falling around me Yesterday, I wish we 